It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insights, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. And uh, we are talking with someone who is uh, kind of a mentor to a lot of women out there. And so we're going to talk a little bit about things happening with women in business and in also the workplace. I want to let you know that the Franchise Academy here, we're all about franchising. And if you've listened before, you know we talk all about how to run a great franchise, how to buy a franchise, how to sell a franchise, how to turn your business into a franchise. So I welcome uh, everyone. And of course, any questions that you might have, you can always reach me at Tom at thefranchiseacademy.com. Again, Tom at thefranchiseacademy.com, including if you want to hear any specific topics that you're interested in, please let me know. And I will bring on the foremost expert in the country on whatever topic it is you're looking for. Today's very exciting because we have Cindy Watson with us, who is the founder of Woman on Purpose. And she is an award-winning author. She's a sought-after trainer, international speaker, and consultant. More than 30 years' experience as a social justice attorney and a master negotiator. Hello, Cindy. Hey there, Tom. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is really great. And our paths have crossed. And we probably met at a buffet table somewhere yeah. at some, <laughs> some quantum leap oh, event here. in Philadelphia. Don't judge me. Don't judge me too harshly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can, you can never get enough rubber chicken. So. <laughs> that's right. It's the dessert table. Watch yeah, it. That's where you find me. Okay, between me and my fork. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I am really, really excited to have you on, and you've come highly recommended by some other folks that are uh, in my circle who, oh, who really know you well. So Great to hear. Thanks. Yeah, it's really cool. So I understand you've, you've written a book and created a program called The Art of Feminine Negotiation. <laughs> yeah. That always raises eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. What is feminine? Because I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, as, as a male chauvinist, I'm thinking, well, <laughs> well, I know, you know, I know male negotiation, how to work with females to yeah. get what you want. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I won't ask how that worked for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not too well these days. <laughs> so how is this really different from like just traditional negotiating? Well, it's a great question. And it's interesting because for me, what really makes me so passionate about this subject is that I think all of life is a negotiation, frankly, whether it's negotiating with your partner, with your kids, uh, you know, with your boss, if you're an employer, with your employees, if you're the boss and, <laughs> you know, frankly, negotiating your sex life, like all of life is a negotiation yeah. and we're led to believe like, and it's probably the most important skill we're ever going to learn. And yet we're not taught it. It's one of those skills we are not taught in the normal curriculum. And to the extent that we hear anything, we're led to believe that negotiation is all about toughness. You know, toughness carries the day, the bark, the bite. And it's just, it's simply not true. If there's one thing I've learned after 30 years doing high stakes negotiations in a male dominated environment, it's that, that, you know, the hallmarks, I think of a really great negotiator, and this applies male or female, frankly, but the hallmarks are people who can build rapport and empathy and flexibility and intuition and trustworthiness, mm -hmm. all of those things that are typically considered 
the soft skills or feminine traits. So, and assertiveness is definitely one of them. And actually, if I'll, I'll give your, your listeners here a little mnemonic that I, I put together to help people remember it, it's R fit. Just remember you are fit to be a great negotiator. So that's A for assertiveness, R for rapport building, E for empathy, FIT for flexibility, intuition, and trustworthiness. And that's the reason I call it the feminine art of negotiation is to try, I'd like to turn the concept on its head, everything we've been taught about negotiation, so that people start bringing these other skills that are going to get you way better results, longer lasting, you know, relationships, people buy into the results of the negotiations more, and especially for your franchise owners. I mean, these are people who need to have clients and long standing relationships. And the traditional view of negotiating does not get you that. No, not at all. You know, a lot of people, I think, confuse negotiation with haggling. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't think it's the same thing, right? No, no, absolutely. And even haggling, to be honest, like whether whether you're on a beach somewhere, you know, when we're taking our vacations. And that was one of the, the eye openers for me, because I remember being younger and being on the beach the first time I'd ever gone to Mexico and being told, you know, go in there really low, whatever they offer. And now granted, I was a student back then, so I, money was a big issue, but I'd haggle for that last little people are like, there's no way you're gonna get it for that. And at some point you wake up later and I've got a successful law practice and I'm like, you know what, Cindy? You don't have to haggle for the last dime on the table over this blanket on this beach in Mexico. So, so much in negotiation is learning about the context because that extra buck means a heck of a lot more to them than it does to me right now. And it's learning to know when to push, when to pull in the horns, when to care more about the relationship, you know, and that's that using that intuition and that flexibility and that rapport, which that's when you start becoming a really skilled negotiator that gets deeper results, both personally and professionally. So you've been an attorney for 30 years, is that what? Yep. Is yeah. It, yeah. I'm dating so, and how long have you been doing this? <laughs> <laughs> and so how long ago did you write your book? Uh, well, the book's actually, I've ju just written the book this year. So it's, it's coming out that put the programs out. The book is going to be coming out in a few months. So very exciting. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you have to let us know because we'll, um, we'll bring you back in and we'll talk more about, you know, the book launch. That'll oh, I love that. Very exciting. Yeah. Keep me in the loop on that. <laughs> what like sparked this whole negotiation thing? So, like so much in you that you decided you had to write a book about it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that crept up. And if I can, you know, sort of getting personal here, I, I think I had always been a natural sort of negotiator. I never thought of it that way, but I grew up in a house where we had really, you know, heated debate. I grew up in a low rental apartment in Scarborough and, you know, on the wrong side uh -huh. of the track. So I, I didn't have much, which gives you that extra drive, I think, sometimes. Uh, yeah. And we had really spirited debates around the table at home about issues. So, you know, I, I came in always with fire and, you know, I think I kind of threw people back on their heels sometimes. But that made me really well suited <laughs> in the legal profession. Like all of the positive reinforcement you got was when you were tearing the other side apart, right? Like really, and they, they called me Barracuda, which they meant as a compliment. And for the longest time I took as a compliment. But to be honest, Tom, one day I was having a conversation with my, my middle kid, my, my son, and I thought we're just having a discussion. And at some, I could see his frustration mounting. And then at one point in the conversation, he finally just went, you know, for God's sake, mom, does every conversation with you have to be an argument that you win? 
And I it really, you know, it was like somebody just held a mirror up and I did not like what I saw. Hmm. And then it really flashed back to, you know, a course I'd taken in law school and negotiations when I wasn't being that aggressive person. Back then I was more in what I would call my natural, just authentic, more feminine style of negotiation. And I I won every simulated negotiation in that class that year, which was almost unheard of. And suddenly I had this epiphany that you know, you don't have to negotiate from this aggressive, you know, if I may say negotiate like a man, you know, to get what you want, that the more effective skills are actually the softer skills. And it takes a toll when your entire life is all about bringing that aggression or that assertiveness to the table. And that's your benchmark. It seeps into your relationships personally and professionally. Huh, interesting. So what's an example of like the soft skill that you could really use to your benefit in these kind of negotiations? Well, the one thing I'd really say as well, especially for, you know, for your audience, for business owners, is the one big tip I would get is to, to really deeply sort of recognize that all of life is a negotiation and to bring it into your personal life as well as your professional life. So and and the reason I say that, and I, you know, if your listeners are going, ah, oh, I want to hear about business, but trust me, the two are linked because, you know, especially as franchise owners, business, like being an entrepreneur comes with stress, right? And it comes with time management issues. And when you're running your business, you know, it affects your relationships with your partner, with your kids, with your family, with your friends, because, you know, you're running your business, you've got the stress of, of running the business and dealing with all of the various aspects of it. And if you add to that, always taking what I'll call the tough guy approach or that, you know, that negotiation is all about the toughness. It starts to, as I say, take a toll on your personal relationships as well. And it makes for a recipe for a total lack of satisfaction. And that then becomes this circular thing, because if you're not satisfied in your personal life because of your professional life seeping over the two, you can either have a spiral that's going to go up or a spiral that's going to go down. So if you bring those skills in terms of rapport building and empathy, and let's use, you asked me to pick one. So empathy, for example, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life, bring that empathy to the table, like really, truly put yourself in the shoes of the other person. And the other mistake we make is we always feel like we need to talk and fill the silence and, and be the, you know, the loudest voice is the one that's going to carry the day. And so long as I'm pushing my agenda forward, I'm going to get what I want. But again, the real mark of, of being skilled, you know, you've, you've made it, if you will, in negotiation when you're able to sit back and listen and think about, really dig into what's the other side's why, what, and what's your own deeper why? Like what is, you know, I know we're talking about money here, but it's almost never really about money. You know, it's about lifestyle. It's about, you know, what that money represents for us. So when you can tap in for your deepest why, and then put yourself in the shoes of the other party and tap into what's really motivating them here. It's not about the money. Is it about saving face in front of their, you know, their wife or their partner? You know, is it about getting this deal because they need to make their quota this month or to get that promotion they want, whatever. When you're able to put yourself in the other party's shoes, it suddenly opens up a whole world of possibilities for bargaining and finding creative solutions and get usually ironically you end up getting more than you would have taken the tough guy approach because you're able to then launch that to build rapport and the other person believes that you have their best interest at heart they're then going to let their guard down 
and you're going to be able to dig deeper. And sometimes you come up with solutions that are outside the box for both of you that are actually a way better solution than either of you thought you were going to be insisting on when you open up that kind of window and that empathy. So when you're in empathy, you are opening up a really win-win situation for everyone at the table because yeah. you can understand where they're coming from. So instead of like just bullying, yeah. And then so, yeah. and I'm betting that you would agree that two plus two equals six in this kind of case. Absolutely. And just to give you a quick concrete example, like even in real estate, we were in competition one time when we were looking to, to bid on a house. And again, it's just that trusting your intuition, right? So there was, uh, you know, myself and my husband with our three young kids at the time, this was many years ago, and we were bidding against, we didn't know at first, but it turned out that it was a Korean conglomerate who were looking to put a resort on the property. And my guts told me, so we went first, we saw the property, we didn't get to meet the owner, but I heard a little bit about him. And my intuition told me that we need a face-to-face with him. So we asked to go back for a second meeting, met with the guy, brought my kids, again, one of those trusting the intuition. This was a family man who had built the house himself. He was older now and wasn't able to take care of it. The kids were gone. So I knew I used that empathy and rapport building to put myself in his shoes. This house means something to this man. He raised three kids in this home. He doesn't want it torn down for a resort probably. So I brought my three kids with us We got so that he could see us as people, as a family, let him know we wanted to have roots here and build. And sure enough, then the money ended up mattering less at the end of the day because he wanted us to get that deal. And it was that rapport building that empathy, that intuition, that building that trust and being flexible about how we were looking to structure the deal, right? And you can apply mm. that in business across the board every day in just about every way to end up getting better results for yourself. Yeah, it's called caring about yeah. you know, what you want. Right? <laughs> what a novel it's concept. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. funny because you're right. I mean, I can see this working in what I think is one of the worst circumstances that you get into in buying something, which is buying an automobile. Yes. And I can all of a sudden, as you're talking, I could see sitting across the table from the salesperson and, and saying, so, you know, what's, what's driving this sale is like end of the month, you have to make, yeah. <laughs> make your quarter. Absolutely. I mean, what's going on here? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and if you understand what's going on, it's like, Hey, we could get to a better solution. Yeah. I actually just got interviewed by somebody recently and he said he used the car example as well. I said, well, if you want a better deal on your car, send your wife, send your sister, send, but just make sure you send a woman. He was like, uh, what the the conversation got really interesting really quickly that's so funny so what resources do you offer or even recommend you know for business owners that are listening in now well, I, I think one thing is, that's really important, especially for franchise owners, like it's going to like in terms of your your staffing, there are so many, so many ways where negotiation applies, like with your clients, right? Obviously, sales, uh, sales with your clients are a negotiation, like any way you slice it, sales are really just a sophisticated negotiation form. And the more sophisticated negotiating skills you have, the better your sales are going to be, the better your profit's going to be, the better your franchise is going to succeed. Um, because when you're negotiating from that sort of our fit mentality, you get people to sell themselves on their own vision, right? As opposed to doing the hard sell. So it's clients, suppliers, whether it's government with your staff. So it's really important, I believe, to have, I would really recommend that they get in-house educationals, you know, do webinars, get somebody to come in and, you know, do coaching with you or, and certainly from my perspective, and you can get these anywhere. I'm not saying to use me, but I do have, like, I've got an art of feminine negotiation, an online program. 
You know, they can, for, for the franchise owner or even for their staff, frankly, like get a, get access to the program so that they can have their staff go through it online at their own pace and their own comfort zone and work through their own workbook and, you know, go de- as deep as they want, but also get some kind of in-house educationals going as well with your staff to help increase morale and satisfaction in the workplace because it is a crisis now. Yeah, there's no question. And so since you brought it up, tell us where can we find your online information? The easiest place is on my website, which is www.womenonpurpose.ca. Womenonpurpose.ca because you are yes. in Canada. I am, yes. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, nice. Although I am down in your fair country very, very often doing this stuff. So, yeah. You certainly are. What if or really any impact does the Me Too movement have on, or, you know, women uh, rising movements yeah. have on businesses today? Yeah, and let me say, I'd say two things to that, and I, I'm glad you raised it because I think it is a really, it is a tough issue right now, and I think particularly for franchise owners and for, for entrepreneurs, it's something it's causing, and as somebody who specialized in labor law in particular, doing social justice, a lot of my work was doing labor law for 30 years as well. So these gender issues now, we have probably more polarization between the genders than, you know, at almost any time. And as we have the Me Too movement and Women Rising movement, we're almost seeing such a pushback to that, that it's causing the opposite of the intention. So now more than ever, I think it's really important to get some training to deal with unconscious biases and how to bridge the gap in the workplace. That's one of the areas where I'm doing a lot of corporate training right now, because you've got men who are suddenly going, what the heck? I don't know what's appropriate anymore. Like, can I even, am I even allowed to tell a woman that I think she looks nice today? So it's, it's just causing, we're, we're seeing increased depression and anxiety. We're seeing a decrease in morale for your franchise owners. That causes an increase in absenteeism with all of the co- increased costs and lost money and, and productivity decreases that go with that. So yeah. it's, it's so important for your listeners to really get a grip on this and start really starting to get some. And it's so simple that the solution really to is Thomas, just awareness and having, I, I find it, it is diffuses this issue when you come in and you start talking about these unconscious biases on both ends, because it's not just women that suffer from unconscious biases. So do men, you've got men who want to be able to, you know, sort of show a different side of themselves who've been put in a box for their whole life as well with that kind of what what it means to be a man. So both sides, you know, are suffering right now and we need to find a way to bridge that gap. And it's super simple to do. It's just a matter of raising your awareness and putting a little time and effort and having people come ideally and have some kind of educational with your staff to start dealing with these gender issues so people can get back. You need to be able to have relationships in the workplace. I'm not talking about intimate relationships. I'm talking about, you know, we need to have communication. We need to have human connection in the workplace. And right now that yeah. is missing, sadly. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting situation because there's so many people I know, including my parents, actually met at work. Yeah. So it's become very awkward and and I have not worked in an office in more than 20 years. So (laughs) it's hard for me to actually understand what's going on, but but I could, I could imagine what, what's happening. And even like with the current, like prospective presidential race, we have, you know, you know, like Joe Biden, who is the vice president, 
last term is now all of a sudden people are saying, wait, he's, yeah. he's weird because he smells people's hair or yeah. something. I don't know what they're talking about. But, and, and he's like, oh, you know, I, you know, I've been doing that since the 50s. Yeah, you know? yeah. no, it's, it's, it's like, dude, it's not the 50s anymore. Yeah. But that's the problem. Suddenly, it's like people, suddenly the rules of the game are changing overnight and we haven't had any transition period or any sort of education about it or any time for people to get some awareness to, to come to this new realization about how we're going to work together now in a different way without giving yeah. up that human connection still. I mean, the whole women's liberation movement started in the 60s, yeah. Gloria Steinem, yeah. you know, all of that stuff, Jane Fonda, and but that's like, you know, 50 years ago already. Yeah. And it went from like, you know, zero to 10 miles an hour to 15, 20 miles an hour for the past 50 years. Yeah. And in the past two years, it went straight to 100 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's missing though still? I think it's interesting that you raised Gloria Steinem in that because I mean, they, you know, were standing on their shoulders and they made great leaps and bounds. But the problem was, I think initially for the longest time, and I think this is one of the key problems in with negotiation as well, is that people assume that like equal is not the same. Let me put it that way. Like being demanding equality doesn't mean that women need to suddenly act like men. And back in the sixties, like you had all the bra burning and the answer to playboy was to get playgirl. Well, you know what? That, that doesn't necessarily mean equality. That doesn't necessarily mean progress, right? So the point right. is to let women and men be as masculine or as feminine as they each want and bring the traits that work best for, for them. Right. So. so it's individuality and not being you know, put in a box. Yeah. And I, and as much as I call, like my book, my program is called The Art of Feminine Negotiation. I actually think, Tom, that within the next generation, we're going to start to see a real softening around even using those terms at all, masculine and feminine. They're, I think they're going to start to disappear a little bit, even though there are definitely differences between the gender, clearly. But I think those stereotypes about this behavior is feminine and that behavior needs to be masculine can be a problem. Right. Right. When, you know, it was funny because when I was when I was younger, you know, I was growing up in, in the late 60s, early 70s. My father used to say, you know, men don't cry. Yeah. And then my dad became a crier. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in, in later years. And, you know, and, and he, he is like, you know, very liberal with his classifications of people. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, no, you know, real men cry. And I'm like, oh, wait a second, this is different. <laughs> so, yeah. So oh, funny how I saw right. that happen just in my own yeah. household, you know, growing up. And yeah, it's it's just way, way interesting. And times are changing and, and it's exciting for, for people who want it to be exciting and embrace it. Other people are running scared. And, and yeah. it's funny. Change does that to a lot of people, too. Yeah, Well, and especially when it's happening so quickly, right? Like we're seeing such a ridiculous transition now. So and the other thing mm -hmm. I'd say on that as well for your especially for your franchisors as well, like keeping your staff happy is is such a key issue. So when they're like learning the art of feminine negotiation for your franchisors, for themselves and their relationships with their clients and suppliers and that, but also for their relationships with their staff, and then teaching their staff that art to be able to approach their sales and negotiations differently so that for their relations with each other and just being able to learn to step into their purpose and passion mm -hmm. will dramatically increase the satisfaction level in the workplace, which then you'll see, again, it'll keep your costs down because your absenteeism will go down and your morale will go up, which is so critical yeah. for a franchisor. It really is. Not to mention the interaction with customers. Absolutely. Because this also comes into play on that level. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's really interesting, you know, in, in my opinion anyway. Yeah. 
and especially that's why I'm really focusing a bit on the morale piece because when your staff are not happy, that makes for a bad customer experience because people smell that, they feel that, right? They intuit that. So getting that morale increased around this issue, and I do believe this is a key way to help start to increase that morale piece, um, it'll trickle into every aspect of your business. Absolutely. Cindy, what's one thing you are really excited about today in, in your business? Uh, I would say the thing that fires me up the most right now is the possible, I think we're on such a cusp right now, Tom. Like, like, as you said, we've got change happening so quickly and I am really pushing hard to get this, uh, you know, art of feminine negotiation or whatever people want to call it. I don't care. But if people start, like, just imagine how different the world would be if everyone started learning to negotiate from that mindset of bringing empathy and rapport and trust. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying let people walk all over you. Assertiveness is still the A for R. Like at the end of the day, you need to be assertive and draw your lines and be able to handle that in a way to make sure you, you know, as I say, when I'm teaching this, it's like, get what you want from the boardroom to the bedroom and every aspect of your life. But imagine mm-hmm. how different the world would be if everyone learned to negotiate. It, I believe we're capable of changing the world if people start changing their approach to negotiate. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, from the boardroom to the bedroom is is really powerful. Of course, like you said, it's like cradle to grave. It's all day, every day. You're negotiating everything to include negotiating with yourself. Yeah, yes. And start there, actually. I'm glad you said Mm -hmm. that because I just did a post about that, that, you know, and that negotiating with yourself is the area where I'd say, get assertive on that first, like choose your mindset, choose who you want to show up as. And, And this may be the one quick tip I'd give to your franchisors as well. If you choose who you want to show up as in every interaction. So when you're going into a sales meeting, when you step into work every day, touch the door jam as you go in and make a conscious, intentional decision about how you want to show up with your staff, how you want to show up with your customers, and then do the same thing at night. Touch the door jam as you're going into the house and be super intentional about how do I want to show up when I step in this door with my intimate partner, with my kids, with whoever it is, with my dog, who who, or whatever it is that's waiting for you on the other side of that door. That's brilliant. I love that. That is so good because it, it is a conscious choice. You know, I know sometimes like myself, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll feel like I just don't want to get out of bed. Right. Yeah. yeah. My wife is downstairs, you know, and she's whatever she's doing, getting ready. And and I have a choice. I could go downstairs and, and I could be grumpy or I could go downstairs and smile. Absolutely. And I find that when I go downstairs and smile, I have a much better day. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you make other people's day better. And the ripple effects of that are profound. It's profound. Absolutely. Great word to use for that. I wanted to ask you about busting a myth about, you know, negotiation, I guess, or, or mm. unless you want to bust a myth about something else. But I always ask my guests, what's yeah. one myth you'd like to bust? Oh, I, I love busting myths. So um, <laughs> I would say... Well, I mean, we we talked at the beginning about the fact that negotiation is not all about the bark and bite. But the other thing and tied to that, I think one of the big myths, and this in particular is for the women in your audience there, I would say, although it applies to both. But there's this real myth and belief out there that women are not effective negotiators. And that that it, belief is held by both men and women. And, and I'll just put it right out there as well. Some women get pissy with me about this. But, you know, there's a lot of women now loving to point the fingers and blame the opposite sex. But, you know, what? we got to work on our own baggage first because women are just they're not only just probably more likely to interrupt other women as well. 
women are just as likely to believe that other women are not effective negotiators in blind studies that they do on choosing job applicants. Women are just as likely. The fact is when women tap into those feminine traits and trust their natural negotiating style, they're unstoppable as negotiators. So it's simply a myth. And I think for both genders to recognize that is important. And women who realize it can use it as their secret weapon because people don't expect them to be good negotiators. So (laughs) own it and live it and come prepared. That would be the myth I'd pass on. That's awesome. I love that. But what what made me, you made me think of something else, which I don't know if you could or want to speak on the issue, but women kind of kowtow to other women and to other men. And I often hear women starting sentences with the phrase, I'm sorry, I just wanted to ask you, or I'm sorry, can I, you know, and they're always sorry for something and they're not, and they don't have a need to be sorry for anything. Yeah, it is. Is that kind of what you focus on? Yeah. And it's, it's funny because when I started this, the business is called women on purpose because before I started with the negotiation piece, my focus was on helping women step into their passion and their purpose and push past those generations of limiting beliefs that make women feel they need to make themselves smaller and too much. And it goes back, you see the studies in, as early as kindergarten, boys in the kindergarten play yard get their status from bragging on themselves and making themselves larger. And young girls learn really quickly that if they make themselves big, they're going to get shunned. So we have generations of conditioning to overcome on that. And it's such a powerful and important first step. That's amazing. Uh, Do you have any favorite books that you would recommend to uh, our listeners? Oh, I love reading. So I would stay here all day giving you fiction books. But I think the one that would jump to me now, and I actually haven't even finished it yet, but the Athena Doctrine, somebody had just recommended it to me. And I find it interesting because it was written by two men and it was based largely on a, a whole bunch of studies that were done out of Harvard. But, and it supports, ironically, my whole sort of theory or thesis about the, bringing those feminine traits because as they started looking into it and the whole book is around this concept about bringing that feminine energy and how bringing those, and again, whether for men or women, but bringing that more feminine traits and those feminine skills is going to be the way for our future leaders. And again, that's a great thing to pass on for your franchisors. If they want to be leaders in their industry, you know, if you guys out there want to lead within your franchise and beyond the leaders of the future, all indications are that it's people who are able to bring these feminine traits. So for men and women, and I want to be clear, because I don't think I've actually said that for the art of feminine negotiation, it's not just for women to learn to step into their feminine power, for men who are willing to step forward and step into those feminine traits as well, they're going to be the leaders who take off. Yeah. Wow. That's very cool and very exciting at the same time. Do you have one parting piece of advice or guidance? And also let us know how people could connect with you again. Yeah, thanks. I think sort of the best advice that I was ever given, and I like to pass this on is, you know, find a way to make money doing something that you love, which I I hope that all of you listeners out there, you know, doing your franchise operations have chosen something that you truly love. And if you haven't, then I would say find a way to bring something you love into it. Because Mm -hmm. if you find a way to make money doing something you love, in other words, if you tap into your purpose, it'll be a game changer Mm -hmm. and it'll make you infinitely more successful, both in terms of your, you know, satisfaction factor, 
in terms of profitability and every area mm-hmm. of your life. So find a way to bring what you love into the business that you're doing now. And and if you're not, then make that a top priority to tweak it and find a way to do what you love. Absolutely. And it's and sometimes it's not, some people get confused when you say like, you should do what you love, meaning, and as people take that to mean like, I really love baking, so I want to, you know, get into a baking business, making cakes. Yeah. And, that, and that's not really what it is, but it's, the love of, you know, why do you love baking? Because you love the, you know, when people tell you how great your baking is and you, and you bring, you, you make it with love. So sometimes your business is just a vehicle to get you what you need in your life so you could find your divine purpose. So, you know, whether it's a job or a business, it's just a vehicle to get you where you want to go. Is my, yeah. my point. Yeah. And bring, bring your purpose to whatever you're doing. Exactly. Find a way to bring that purpose in. Exactly. Yeah. So cool, Cindy. Thank you so much. Love having this discussion here. This is so different than, you know, this is what you need to do to run a great franchise. This is <laughs> this is the kind of the feminine touch in the franchise. So I really appreciate you, Cindy. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, it was great to be here. So, and, and you may want to tell them to listen to this podcast twice because they may resist at first, but it'll be worth the effort, I think, if they can start applying it. <laughs> I'm going to put that right on the website. Listen to this one twice. <laughs> Thank you so much, and God bless you, and uh, we'll have you on again when that book gets released. Okay, thanks, Tom. It was great to be here. Thank you. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.